uh, preach to you a message from the Bible. So Colossians chapter 2, if you're there already, did anybody not get an outline? Raise your hand if maybe you came in late. You didn't get an outline for tonight's message? Good job. Pastor Luther, you're hired as an usher. Man, the man. Everyone's got one. Oh, just about? Okay, well, you'll get there. So I'm just kidding. So Colossians chapter number 2 this evening. And do you normally stand when you read the scripture? I don't remember. Why don't we stand tonight, all right? We're feeling good. Colossians chapter 2. You're looking like an athletic bunch. Let's start in verse 1. I think you can last. Verses 1 through 10. The Bible says, For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving." Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Lord, I pray that you would help me as I preach tonight. And you know, I'm in every word I said so far here, Lord, it's, it's not me, it's just really you. And Lord, I pray that you would use your word and minister through your word, through the Holy Spirit of God, to the hearts of the people here tonight. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, to beware of some things and to understand that we are complete in you. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Paul, in the epistle of Colossians, is writing to warn this church of a very dangerous heresy that was creeping into the church. It stressed tradition, it stressed signs and wonders, it stressed, stressed different rituals, a lot of philosophy, some new things. Basically, it was all kinds of stuff that was leading these people away from their simplicity that they had in Christ. And if you notice here in Colossians, just a little tour of it, if you got to use your Bible tonight, we'll turn to a couple places. But the first two chapters of Colossians, really it just talks about who you are as a believer in Christ and who Christ is. The third chapter gives some more, and a little bit of the fourth chapter, some practical stuff. And the reason for that is why it's so heavy emphasizing who you are in Christ, because you really can't live the Christian life unless you really understand who you are as a Christian. You are, verse number 10, that's the whole message, you're complete in Christ. But look at verse number 8. 8 through 10 is really our, our um, text verse. You see it says, beware. Beware means to restrain, and this is a lot of it's in your notes, you can follow along, to restrain or guard oneself from, to regard with caution, avoid, take care. So he says, beware. Now, you're, be, you're to be rooted and built up in Jesus Christ, but beware, beware. And this is not just for the church at Colossae. This is the inspired, preserved word of God. This is for us. This is an epistle. This is for the local church. All of this is for you and me. And so you and I are to beware, lest any man. Now, this is potentially a person. 
this is a person's influence, an individual to you, maybe uh, something that a person has created, some media, a book, something. But beware, lest any man spoil you. Now, when you think of the word spoil, it doesn't mean like the lettuce is spoiled in the fridge and you better throw that away because it's spoiled. It's yucky. It's gross now. We were uh, coming to church this morning and even though I made all the kids toast, they wanted some muffins in a bag on the way. And I'm like, okay, it's like little pieces of candy in the muffins. And they said, what does it mean when it says August on the bag? And I said, that means that it's no good anymore. And it's not August next year, it's bread. Okay, it's probably not good anymore. Those muffins had spoiled, but my kids are so sick, they wanted to eat them anyways. But that's not what it's talking about here. Here, spoil means to take away the best parts of. If an army is going to spoil a city, they're going to take all the good stuff out of it. So as a Christian, he's saying, beware, lest any man spoil you through. And he's going to list some things here. Before we get to there, I'll show you why I have the title here in your notes, Beware of Dogs. It comes from Philippians 3.2. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. As a Christian, we're to beware of some things. About 13 years ago, I was in... Uh, Phoenix, Arizona area, and we were with a, a tour group. I sang with our college, West Coast Baptist College, and we would help the pastor, whatever he wanted. You know, you might have a tour group here sometime. And uh, he wanted us to go uh, soul winning, door knocking, and, and invite people to a, a youth night we were having, and then just to church generally. But uh, Arizona, like the West, maybe you've been there, you've lived there. It's a different world. Everything is just different. The, the plants are different. The people are different. Everything is just different. And so we were going from door to door, and I think, I don't know this for sure, but it, it seems like it might be a law that in the Arizona area, every person living out in the country has to have like a ginormous, vicious dog. Because every single door, there was a chain link fence way around the property, and when you got close, it was like that dog was snarling. He was just daring you to get close. And every single, and so I did not tempt that, that sign. Every time that we went to a chain link fence that said, beware of dog, you know what I did? I did not, I was not bold in the faith. I did not risk it. I just stuck a little flyer in the, the chain link if I could and went to the next place. Beware of dog. And uh, you might be a dog person. You might think you can tame the dog or whatever. But I'm thinking, I don't know that dog. The owner probably knows that dog. I'm going to trust what they know about the danger within this fence, right? You would be silly to ignore a sign that said beware of dog, wouldn't you? There are some dogs out there that can steal away your heart for Christ. They can come in and spoil you. And the thing is, you never really know it until it's happening or until maybe after it's happened or until somebody tells you that it has happened. We're going to explore this here tonight uh, in the sermon entitled, Beware of Dogs. These three dogs I'm going to give you tonight, all found in verse number eight by name. They're all different, but all of them, if given the chance, will tear you up. They'll hurt your fellowship with Christ, your effectiveness, your testimony, your steadfastness, and not your salvation, but your reward for Christ. Number one, in your notes, your blank, number one is philosophy. Philosophy. Now, philosophy means a love of wisdom. Let's see if this will stand up. No? All right, I thought so. I'm going to use this stand over here. This is all according to plan because I have all your attention, don't I? Don't I? You're all looking at me? Good. All right. Philosophy is our number one dog. So this is the warning sign for philosophy. It means a love of wisdom. Now, isn't wisdom a good thing? Isn't wisdom the principal thing? Therefore, get wisdom in with all that getting, get understanding. Yes, but philosophy here in this verse means uh, the world's wisdom. The world's wisdom. You know, philosophy and vain deceit, this is so common in, in every age. 
But it's very common in our age today. Back here in Colossae, there was, a, a, was just a love of wisdom, a love of new things that was in the culture in the church. Whenever somebody came along teaching something that nobody in the church had ever heard of, they were just hungry for that. Oh, tell me more, tell me more. And that happens today. Some uh, person who says they're a Christian author will write a new book with a totally new spin on something in the Bible. Well, I never heard that. Or somebody will say, I found another gospel of Jesus Christ. Or there was a lost epistle. And now, finally, the Lord kept his word hidden in secret for 2,000 years, but now he is letting this generation have it. That's silly, you know? That, that's a philosophy thing. People um, love to learn something new. Philosophy, really, it, it, it preys on a lot of different kinds of people. It preys on people who are uneducated, people who don't think they know, and I've seen this, and you might know somebody like this, they don't feel like they know very much about the Bible or about the Christian life, and so when something new comes along, they kind of think, well, I, I don't really know very much, so because of my own uh, uh, ignorance, I'm going to just believe you. Philosophy right there. And basically, this is something that's outside of the Bible, outside of your completeness in Christ. There's something that you don't know. There's something additional outside of the Bible that you need. When that's not true at all. You don't, you don't need anything that the world has to offer. You just need the Holy Word of God and the Holy Spirit living within you. You're complete in Christ. But another person it preys on is the actually ignorant somebody who really doesn't know much about the Bible, but thinks they do. And something comes along and they think, well, that makes sense. That's a lot. It also preys on the super educated. Have you ever met somebody who just had one too many degrees and they knew it, right? We've got the bachelors, then we got the, the masters of divinity, then we got the doctor of divinity, and then we've got a dual doctor of divinity. And eventually it's like, yo, save your money, okay? You can do better things with it than that. And I'm all for learning. I love to learn. And, and honestly, this dog right here is probably the one that is, I'm most susceptible to because I love to read. You drop me off in a Barnes & Noble, I could stay there my whole life. If the coffee thing remains open, that would be fine. I could live and die in a Barnes & Noble reading, reading, reading. But you got to be careful because what you really need, what you need as a Christian, what you need as a preacher, and we know this, uh, I, I think, and I have to remind myself of it, is just the Word of God. God gave His Word. God preserved His Word. And it's perfect. It's complete. There's no new Bible being written. There's no new Bible left to be discovered. I mean, God wrote a book in black and white. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? And you've got the Word of God. But philosophy, here's a warning sign right here. Beware of dog. The dog of philosophy. Philosophy and the other thing that goes right along with it is vain deceit. There in your, in your notes, I think I haven't mentioned. Vain deceit is this. Something that ministers questions. Something to which there is no answer in the Word of God. And you can get real tripped up. Remind yourself of this and just log this away in your mind. Just because you have a question to which you can't find a good answer doesn't mean it's a good question. Okay? There are a lot of silly things. You can, I mean, the, the less mature a person, the more crazy their questions. My kids ask me questions that sometimes you just have to, like, you know, and you don't answer, and then they forgot they asked it five seconds later. Like, what are we going to do? What does this mean? And like, like just, just ignore, and then they go away because it's a silly question. And sometimes people can ask questions about the Bible, and what about this? What's this going to be like in heaven? Look, God has given us everything that we need. But philosophy and vain deceit will try to steal away your completeness in Christ. One key verse in my ministry that really helps me, and I remind myself all the time, 2 Corinthians 11.3. I don't remember if this made your notes or not. But it says, but I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted 
from the simplicity that is in Christ. You know those super educated people, those people out there that, that go to a, a library or a Barnes and Noble and they go to the religion section and there's, it's daunting, all of the different viewpoints and everything, and they think there's no way that mankind's way to God is simply through the completed work of Jesus Christ. There's just no way. There's too much out there. Or, or how can only Jesus Christ be the right way? What about the people that worship the earth? What about the environmentalists that, that worship the God of the earth? And the God, what about the humanists that worship the God of man? Can we all be wrong? Can there really only be one way to heaven? Let's think about that. Let's, everybody's got a good viewpoint. No, really, Jesus Christ is the only way. And I fear, Paul said to the church at Corinth, lest by any means as Eve was beguiled by Satan, your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus Christ. You get real discouraged when the dog of philosophy starts eating away at your heart. When you think there's more, there's more to understand other than what's in the complete word of God. So I warn you tonight, beware of the dog of philosophy. Um, Romans 1.22, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. 1 Corinthians 3.19-20 in your notes, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knoweth the thoughts of the wise that they are vain. You know, the pontificators on, on TV, I'm thinking, I just reminded of somebody I saw in the last few months. I don't have uh, cable TV. We have the apps and things we watch. But uh, somebody came on who I think he was from Harvard. Uh, he, he looked like a caveman, but he was a professor of, of theology. I don't know if they call it theology, but some religious something. He, and he was one of those that seemed like he thought he knew a lot and just the way he talked and everything. And, and, and the things that he said, though, were nuts, crazy things. And he was a religious, like a, somebody who was training other religious people. It was nuts. It was crazy. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of this world ministers questions, more questions. The wisdom of this world has no answers. We have the answer right here, and I'm not arrogant to say that. It's found in Jesus Christ. I'm not saying because I'm a Baptist or because I'm an American. I'm saying because I have the Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. We've got everything that we need. But beware, lest any man spoil you through, number one, philosophy and vain deceit. Number two, in your notes, number two, and in verse number eight, the tradition of men. Here's the second dog. The tradition of men. And I'm going to move these flowers. Is this okay if I move them? If you get offended, then this point is for you that I'm moving these flowers, okay? The tradition of men. All right. All right. The tradition of men. There in verse number eight. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men. Now, what is that talking about? It, it really is, is similar to what you're probably thinking, tradition of men. What happened was this. In Moses' day, the law was given. And so people absorbed the spirit of the law and the letter of the law. And as time went on in different ages, uh, different scenarios, there would be a tradition developed to implement the spirit of the law where the letter wasn't exact. But as time went on, those traditions were handed down and people lost the spirit of the law in the first place. And so they were keeping these traditions. And so what happened was there was written traditions, but not in the Bible, extra biblical, outside of the Bible things. Traditions that people said, you've got to keep these traditions. And it got a little bigger. You've got to keep these traditions. It got a little bigger. You've got to keep these traditions. It got a little bigger. And before you know it, you had a whole generation of people, generations of people in Jesus' day that were so intent on keeping the traditions, but long ago they had forgotten all about God. They had lost the spirit of the law. And this is actually worse than a heathen because at least the heathen the heretics the unbelievers the scoffers they know it 
But this is one that you are kind of shielded and shrouded in your own religiousness. And you think you're right with God, but your heart is just as far away as can be. Well, that's how you can get to actually correcting Jesus. Go to Matthew 15 in your Bible. We'll come back to Colossians 2, so maybe put a marker there if you want. But Matthew 15, we'll turn to a few places tonight. Matthew chapter 15. And look at this. This was, this was, was happening in Jesus' day, and I believe in many cases that's what happens in our day. Matthew 15, verse number 1. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples, okay, they're talking to Jesus, the Son of God, the perfect, preexistent, sinless Son of God, okay? Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. Yo, they're talking to Jesus. Look what Jesus says. He answered and said unto them, Why? Do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your, what's that word? What is it? Tradition. He says, for God commanded, saying, honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father and mother, let him die the death. Jesus said, this is what God said. Then he goes on, but ye say, whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, it is a gift, by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have ye made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. He was saying, well, you've carved out an exception for the commandment of God by your tradition, and God didn't give you those traditions. Verse number seven, here's what he calls that, ye hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, this people draweth, look at this right here, man, this is a tradition Christian today. This is tradition Baptist church who holds tight to what granddaddy and great-granddaddy passed on and doesn't know God in their heart, doesn't walk with God at all. Look right here. This people draweth nigh to me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Woo! That, that's convicting, isn't it? That's convicting. Well, it is. Well, how quiet that was. It's convicting, in a, I think, in a church that is kind of a, a church that's been around for a long time. And that's great. You know, this church has been around for a little while. And I don't know if you struggle with this at all. But I think that every church, eventually, as a, as a, and every believer, as they grow older, is going to struggle with, okay, this thing that I'm holding tightly to, there's this change that's coming that I'm a little angry about. Is it because we are transgressing a doctrine, we're going against the word of God, or is there some tradition that's been passed down to me that I just cannot let go. So my tradition is getting in the way of my faith following God. Ooh, that, that's pretty convicting. And here's why. I'm a pretty traditional guy. Look, I'm wearing a suit and tie, not like fleece vest, Baptist church, and no tie right here. Compromises, I'm just kidding. But, you know, that, that's a tradition. And, and, I'll, and I'll, probably, I'll probably dress like this till my dying day. But this is totally a tradition. This is something that I've chosen to do. And, you know, but, but different people can, can see things changing, and they can get real upset about that. They can say that compromising church down there, whatever it might be. And look, I understand traditions. I, and I say, I like traditions. I'm a, again, I'm a traditional guy. My wife, our, our baby is going to be born. Our baby boy, we're going to name him Micah, so we're calling him Micah. Uh, in the middle of November, probably November 13th is the due day. We'll see if we last that long. If you've seen my wife, she's a little pregnant. And uh, she was saying, you know, it's going to be close to Thanksgiving. Maybe we consider just ordering Cracker Barrel and eating it at home on paper plates and stuff. And I'm like, for Thanksgiving, Cracker Barrel? Like, I cook the turkey on Thanksgiving. That's my tradition. You will not transgress my tradition, right? But see, we're, we're all kind of traditional people. And here's why. As you go along in a church, just for example, as you go along in a church, like, that wall had to be painted a certain color. It had to be decided. 
right? We had to pick the, the pattern of the pew, the carpet. We had to make sure we had a super tall pulpit and an ultra wide chair right here, like the Delta seats you pay more for on the plane, right? This is nice and wide, this chair up here. And we had to pick, somebody had to pick. But then eventually, as time goes by, got to keep it updated, keep it sharp in the house of God. Eventually, and it does look sharp here, but you know, you have to change some things. But somebody lets, hey, that's my tradition. Don't change my tradition. You know what that is? They're holding tightly their tradition, whether it's a suit and tie, which is fine, where that's paint color is beautiful, but they're holding tight to that tradition and their heart is far from God you're talking or you're looking at somebody that has 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 been exposed to that in a lot of different ways at a lot of different times and and I and I notice and again I'm a traditional guy I'm an independent Baptist that's never coming off my sign I King James Bible is not tradition it's doctrine but but I am a traditional guy but but I, I've had people I've had people saying I put this on the, the table right here I have literally had somebody say to me this table and a couple other tables cannot be moved because that defines that church. That's unhealthy, that, that idea. That's just unhealthy. And you cannot let the traditions of men get in between you and your simplicity and your completeness in Christ. Christ is everything. Look, if this, if this church was no more and they condemned the building and you had to meet out in a field somewhere, out on the runway or whatever, at the airport, it would be good. You're the church. It'll be fine. You are the church. All you need is pastor to lift up his voice with a King James Bible and you're having church, man. You are the church. All you need is Jesus Christ. He is everything. Beware, though. Beware. Beware. As you get older, as I get older, we're going to latch on to some things and our kids might do a church a little bit differently. Our grandkids might do church a little bit differently make sure before you raise a stink and before you let your hypocritical self get in the way you're not defending a tradition of men now fight for the doctrines but tradition of men hold loosely if you can't take your bible and show somebody why you do something hold it loosely hold it loosely there you know you you've got to have traditions to implement some things but hold them specifically loosely you understand if you hold a, a tradition you uh become a, a, a hypocrite that's, that's what Jesus says, a hypocrite. And you don't want to be a hypocrite. You want to be sincere in Christ. Um, Titus 1, verse 13 and 14 says, This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. I have a reference there in 1 Peter. You can look at later. But I don't mean by, by this that we're not to be holy and separated. I have some verses there in 1 Peter that, that show you that. I just mean this, that any, any standards you have or holiness or separation, it all ought to stem from a heart for the Lord Jesus Christ, from a completeness in Jesus Christ and not holding on to the traditions, okay? Number three, and finally tonight, number three, the rudiments of the world. Is it okay if I borrow this stand down here? Is it all right? I'm the deaf ministry? Okay. I'll be very careful with it. The rudiments of the world. Now, now, rudiment just means a building block. Building block, as in the rudiments of language are letters and vowel sounds. Uh, the rudiments of um, chemistry is the periodic table of the elements. I guess that's a good height. Okay, rudiments. So rudiments are good, and rudiments here in this verse would be uh, the law, basically. Uh, take your Bibles and go over to, or you're still in, well, go, go to Colossians. Let me show you something real quick. Colossians Chapter 2, Rudiments of the World. Colossians 2, look at verse number 20. Colossians 2, verse 20. says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are ye subject to ordinances or laws? Touch not, taste not, handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Look at another verse here. Um, let me just jump up here. 
Look in verse number 13 of the same chapter. You being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened or made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's the laws that was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross, took that law out of the way that was against us. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. And so uh, I've had somebody text me in the last week or so that lives around here who's a mechanic, went, went to the church where I was pastoring, and he said, there's a guy that always comes by and he says that I shouldn't eat pork. And he says, I shouldn't eat pork. I'm against God if I eat pork. What is he saying? What is he talking about? And I, this is one of the passages that I showed him. I showed him this passage. I showed him that passage in Acts where the sheet came down in front of Peter with all manner of creeping things and beasts. And, uh, and God said to Peter, arise, Peter, slay and eat. That's my life verse right there. Slay and eat. What well, God has cleansed, that call not thou common. What, what, he's, what we're saying here is, that that dietary law, the Sabbath day, making sure you keep the Sabbath, which is Saturday, that was all nailed to his cross. The ordinance, all that stuff that condemned you, God took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Well, there's a, a, a religion around here. Maybe you've gotten a little book or a pamphlet that says, if you don't go to church on Saturday, you're going to hell. That's literally what it says. I read their book. They said that the one world church, and I read this in their book they handed out, in Revelation, the one world apostate satanic church is based on going to church on Sunday instead of Saturday. That's literally what it said in their book. Nuts, crazy stuff. What they do is they take the Old Testament law and what, and what the rudiments of the world, beware, 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 lest any man spoil you from saying that you've got to add some works in order to be complete in Christ. These people were getting saved, and then the Judaizers were coming along and saying, have you been circumcised? What about the new moons? What about the holy days? Have you been keeping all this? Because look, Moses gave a lot of stuff. Are you really saved? Okay, you think you're saved right now, but what about these things? And, and then he says, no, 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 no. You don't have to add anything. You're complete in Jesus Christ. This is something that philosophy just doesn't understand. How can you be complete in what somebody else did, and you accept it only by faith. That's crazy, right? How is that possible that nothing, that literally nothing that you do has anything to do with you being complete in Jesus Christ? Not me being a good person, not me being baptized, not me being a church member, not where I came from, not if I was a legitimate child or outside of wedlock. I mean, literally, literally nothing to do with me, all to do with Jesus Christ. Beware lest any man spoil you from that awesome truth that you are complete in Jesus Christ. If you get hung up in this, like, well, I don't think God really loves me because I've been doing these bad things, or I, now, now it, it grieves the Lord, but he, you are still complete in Jesus Christ. You are never going to get more saved than you are right now. Isn't that something? I was saved when I was five years old. And if the Lord tarries and I die when I'm an old, old man, maybe, after having pastored for decades, that would be awesome. And I learn more about the Lord and I get closer to God. You should always be growing in the Lord. That's God's will for you. I'm going, when I die then, versus if I had perhaps died as a young man right after I got saved, a little boy, I'm going to the same heaven. I'm walking the same streets of gold as any of you, as any, anybody else. The, the, the man who died on that cross beside Jesus, 
when Jesus said, today thou shalt be with me in paradise, same paradise, okay? You're going to the same heaven as that, as that guy beside Jesus, okay? There's nothing that you can do to be any more saved. You don't have to worry about all this stuff. Somebody is going to corrupt your simplicity. They're going to pull you away. You've got to beware. Beware of this right here. Now, how can you beware? Well, before we get that, I want to show you a couple more things. You've been talking about Galatians. You've been in Galatians. Well, go to Galatians. And I'm probably going to overlap or maybe get in front of something Pastor Luther is going to say. But go to Galatians 4. Let me show you a little bit more about these rudiments. Now, the rudiments are fine. The law is good. I mean, Jesus said the law is good. But Galatians 4, it was all to point you to Jesus Christ. Galatians 4. Let's read a few verses. Don't you love the Bible? Hey, man, don't you love it? Come on, Galatians 4, verse 1. Now, I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. Now, you might make a mark beside elements or underline it. That's the same root word as the word for rudiments. Rudiments, elements, is the building blocks of something. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons, and because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again, now here's what he's talking about, turning back to the law after you're complete in Christ. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements, there's that word again, same word as rudiments, whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage. He's saying, this is how crazy you're thinking. All of those laws, everything, all of it was for the purpose, sole purpose of pointing people to Jesus Christ. Everything, the, 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 the laws, the, the, the sacrifice, everything pointed to Jesus Christ. And now Jesus Christ completed it. Why would you turn back to, to the, the weak and beggarly elements? That would be like you and me wanting to learn a little bit more, get a little more academic instruction, and enrolling with your child in first grade or kindergarten. I, I want to learn a little bit more about A says A. Tell me, what does apple start with? That would be silly. That would be crazy. That's what Paul's saying. How turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereto you desire to be in bondage? Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What's that liberty? That you are complete in Jesus Christ. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if ye be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised that he's a debtor to do the whole law. Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever of you are justified by the law, you're fallen from grace. He's saying if you have to make sure and you're trusting kind of a little bit in this ordinance that you're implementing on yourself or this bodily thing or whatever, then Christ, it's all about Jesus. You've got to put your faith in Jesus, not something that you're also doing. Verse 5, but we through the Spirit wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision but faith which worketh by love. Ye did run well. Man, look at this. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. You have got, listen, you have got to watch your influences. You've got to. Who you listen to on the radio, who you watch on TV, who you hang out with as a buddy and listen to and speak freely with each other. You have got to watch their viewpoint. I was just talking to Kara. We were talking about something, and I don't have friends who are preachers who are grumpy. 
Hey, we just don't get along, okay? And I was referencing a verse in Proverbs, except your pastor, I'm just kidding, but not at all. But uh, make no friendship with an angry man and with a furious man, thou shalt not go. That's what Proverbs says. And because and you, you're going to become like him. That's the next verse. And you get a snare unto you. That's what the Bible says. And whoever you're around, whoever you watch, whatever you watch, that's why you've got to be real, real careful with what you allow and you relax, you're sitting on your couch, you're watching, it is going to affect you, whether you realize it or not especially if they're saying that there's some kind of Christian deal or something, and they're saying that you've got to add some things to your faith, or if you're not keeping certain traditions that are extra biblical, then you're not right, then you're a bad Christian, or there's some new things out there that are not in your Bible that you've really got to learn to make sure you fully understand everything. Just be careful, beware, beware, just like the beware of dog sign. You would be foolish to ignore these warnings to beware in Colossians chapter 2, verse number 8. Beware of philosophy, the tradition of man, the rudiments of the world. Second Peter 3, 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. I'm a young man. Uh, relatively, I mean, it's relative, but I, I'm, I'm a young man. And, and even I can think of so many people that used to run well, like Galatians 5 uh, here, verse 7, used to run well, used to be in church, used to be happy about it, used to have joy in the Lord, used to walk with God. In my youth group, I'm thinking, where I grew up in Tennessee, my teen youth group, we had so many young men who wanted to be preachers, who were there for teen choir, who were there for teen soul winning, and we were just ready to just do whatever, wanted to go to Bible college, and then you perhaps look at their lives today, and you did run well, who did hinder you? This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. In Christ there is joy, there is fulfillment, there is completeness. It is awesome to serve God. And any of these things, though, will draw your heart away from the completeness that you have in Christ. Go back to Colossians, and we're pretty much done here. Everything good is found in Jesus. Everything you need is found in Jesus. I'll read verse 8 again. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For... In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus is all you need. Look at verse 3. In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If all you've got is Jesus and the word of God, which is, is the Lord Jesus Christ in print. It's amazing. John chapter 1 talks about that. All you have is the Bible, the Holy Spirit. You're complete in Jesus Christ. You have all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are available. It's all found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 10. What a great verse. Ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Forgiveness, completeness, is not found in reaching a higher level of attainment or wisdom, philosophy at all. It's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not found in looking religious or making sure the religious crowd around you is happy with how you look and what you say and all of that, even though Jesus Christ does produce a changed life and holiness separated living. But it's not found in the tradition of men. It's found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgiveness is not found in keeping the law and adding things to salvation, the rudiments of this world, all those things. It's only found in the Lord Jesus. Christ. Look at the back of your handout, if you would, please. This song, I love this song, Complete in Thee. If you know it, why don't you sing it along with me, okay? Complete in Thee, on the first. Complete in Thee, no work of mine could take, dear Lord, the place of Thine. My blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and I shall stand complete in thee. On the chorus, yea, justified, O blessed thought, 
and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Let's do the second. Let's stand together, if you could, on the second. Complete in thee, no more shall sin. Sing it. Complete in thee, no more shall sin. Thy grace has conquered reign within. Thy blood shall bid the tempter flee. And I shall stand complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. On the last, dear Savior, when before thy bar all tribes and tongues assembled are, among the chosen I shall be at thy right hand, complete in thee. Yea, justified, O blessed thought, and sanctified salvation wrought. Thy blood hath pardoned, bought for me, and glorified I too shall be. Beware of dogs, you are complete.